As we continue our study through the book of Romans this morning, I'd like to do something a little different with you. Uh, We're going to continue looking at Romans. We'll turn to Romans 4. Our Bible reading this morning will be from Romans 4, the first 12 verses, and then afterwards we'll turn to the next Lord's Day in the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 23, and we will look at both Romans 4 and Lord's Day 23 this morning. We'll read Romans 4, the first 12 verses under the heading of Faith Illustrated. Let's give our attention now to the reading of God's Word. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? If not, it was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well. And to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. Here ends the reading of God's Word. And now we'll turn in the Forms and Prayers book to page 224. Page 224 in the Forms and Prayers for the reading of the Heidelberg Catechism from Lord's Day 23. We'll look at all three questions. Lord's Day 23. But how does it help you now that you believe all this to which we together respond that I am righteous in Christ before God and an heir to life everlasting. How are you righteous before God? Only by true faith in Jesus Christ, even though my conscience accuses me of having grievously sinned against all God's commandments, of never having kept any of them, and of still being inclined toward all evil. Nevertheless, without any merit of my own, out of sheer grace, God grants and credits to me the perfect satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ, as if I had never sinned nor been a sinner, and as if I had been perfectly obedient, as Christ was obedient for me. If only I accept this gift, with a believing heart. Why do you say that through faith alone you are righteous? 
not because I please God by the worthiness of my faith, for only Christ's satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness are my righteousness before God. And I can receive this righteousness and make it mine in no other way than by faith alone. Blessed congregation, one of the challenges that all people face when coming to the book of Romans is how doctrinal the book is. In fact, the, Roman, the book of Romans, this letter, is so intensely theological that some have even speculated that it was originally written as a textbook about what the early church needed to believe about the Christian faith. And even just last week, we had to learn three new theological words. Do you remember the three new words Paul gave us last week? He taught us the word justification, which is our righteousness before God. The word redemption, that is somebody had to pay a price to set us free. And then the challenging word, propitiation, which is the satisfaction of the wrath of God. And all of this led the Apostle Paul to that great Protestant truth, biblical truth really, that we are justified by grace through faith in Christ apart from works. Hallelujah! And yet this morning, Paul is a good pastor. He's not aloof from his congregation. He's not distant to how they would have felt. He knows that the mind of the Jewish person listening to the book of Romans being read would have been swimming with all this new theological truth. Maybe some of us feel the same way as we go through the book of Romans. So Paul does what every good teacher does when he wants to make a point. He uses an illustration. Some examples. Now, some illustrations are better than others. There are such things as poor illustrations, like, a, for example, a maple tree coming out of an acorn. That's an inside joke. But Paul uses good examples here this morning. He doesn't call on just anybody. He calls on the two most important Old Testament examples in the Bible. Abraham and David. And how both of these men in their lives illustrate Paul's Gospel truth. Remember that Paul said in Romans 3 that all of humanity stands before God and is silent and guilty. But the Lord in His grace bestows righteousness by faith apart from works. And there are no exceptions. Even our spiritual forefathers need the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Abraham did wonderful things. He had some of the greatest deeds. But the Scriptures say he was justified by faith, not works. And David... 
the great king of Israel, had some of the worst deeds, some of the most evil deeds. And the Scripture still says he was forgiven by grace. Forgiven by grace. And so I want to show you three characters this morning from Romans 4, the first 12 verses. I want you to see Abraham is justified by faith in our first five verses. David, he is a forgiven sinner in, our, in verses 6-8. through eight. And Jesus is the Savior of all. That's Abraham, justified by faith. David, a forgiven sinner. And Jesus, the Savior of all. And our theme for our time together this morning is that to aid our faith, Paul illustrates justification with Old Testament examples. To aid our faith, Paul illustrates justification with Old Testament examples. Let's look at our first example this morning. We see the first example is Abraham, and there may not be a more important figure in the history of the Jews than Abraham. In the Bible, he is spoken of with great honor. He is even called the father of all the Israelites. The rock, Isaiah 51, from which God carved His people. It was to Abraham God called him out from his city to the wilderness. My friends, one of the things I read this week was that the city that Abraham likely would have lived in back then would have had libraries, social programs, and even indoor plumbing. And he left all of this to follow God into the wilderness because of God's promise. To Abraham, God promised land and the multitude of descendants. And Abraham was so obedient, it even says in James 2, he was the friend of God. Put it this way. Abraham was the rock star of the Jewish faith. Everyone looked up to him. Everyone loved him. But if you were to read this morning through the Abrahamic narrative in Genesis 12 through, let's say, for example, 17, you would see him behaving like God's friend, but he wasn't exactly perfect. In fact, I think Abraham exhibits some cowardly characteristics when, as we mentioned last week, not only once does he trade his wife for his own freedom, but twice he gives Sarah away to save his own skin. It can be described as nothing but foolish when he takes God's covenant into his own hands and marries Hagar. It is nothing but cold-hearted when he sends Hagar and Ishmael away into the wilderness leaving them to die. The fact of the matter is, Abraham was faithful. But he also failed badly in his life. But what we begin to see over time is that the Jews tended to emphasize his faith and minimize his sin. Let's be absolutely clear this morning. The Jews never taught that Abraham was justified by faith. 
We have no evidence that they ever believed somebody could stand before God based on faith alone. So then, according to them, Abraham earned his right standing before God. He deserved to go to heaven. He was there by his own strength. In fact, we have three what we call intertestamental books, which means written between the Old Testament and the New Testament that testify to this very thing. Books called Jubilees, where it says in 23.10, it says, listen to this, Abraham was perfect in all his deeds with the Lord and was well-pleasing in righteousness every day of his life. Likewise, 1 Maccabees says, was not Abraham found faithful when tested? Sirach 44.19 says, Abraham was the great father of a multitude of, of nations. And listen to this, no one has been found like him in glory. Justification by works. Right standing before God by being good. He deserved God's favor. No doubt he did wonderful things as we've already mentioned. He left everything he ever knew to go to an alien land. He rescued Lot from captivity. He was willing to sacrifice Isaac. These are all stirring acts of obedience. But the question Paul is asking in Romans 4 verse 1 is, did these acts of obedience cause God? Force God to declare Him righteous. That's verse 1. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? In his own power, according to his own person, his own strength, what did he actually accomplish? Is the question Paul is asking. Now amongst men, Abraham can boast. He can boast amongst us as being the most faithful of us. Maybe the most holy. The most willing to believe God. But he could not claim that his obedience or piety has won him God's favor. Look what Paul says in verse 2. For if Abraham was justified by works... He has something to boast about, but not before God. See, before God, by our own strength, we can't even, we can't actually earn His favor. Even religious rock stars are in need of God's grace. You see, not allow me to re-emphasize this, not once, but twice. He trades Sarah away. He failed to trust God's promises. He let Sarah drive these children into the wilderness. And even the day he believed, the day that he walked down the sawdust aisle, we used to say in my Methodist upbringing, and gave his heart to Jesus, he still struggled in faith. Remember in Genesis 15, It says the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. 
and said to him, I am your shield, I am your reward, your reward, excuse me, shall be very great. And how does Abraham respond to God's promise? Does he say, Yes, Lord, I've been waiting? Yes, Lord, I believe. No, in Genesis 15, verse 2, he doubts God's promise. He says, O Lord, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer Damascus. Then he complains again and says, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household, and no member of my household will be my heir. The day of new birth, the day of Abraham's salvation. He's still doubting. He hasn't done anything meritorious. Has he earned God's favor here? Is he especially faithful? What's the answer? No. But still, the Lord took him outside, showed him the heavens. Number the stars, so shall your offspring be. And Abraham believed the Lord. And it was counted to him as righteousness. We see this all throughout Lord's Day 23. The means by which we are saved and justified is not anything but believing. Look at question 59. How does it help you to believe all this? Question 60, the end of the question. If only I accept this with a believing heart. Question 61, uh, at the end of the question. I can receive this righteousness and make it mine in no other way than by faith alone. All the catechism is doing is simply agreeing with the Scripture. That by faith, by believing, we throw ourselves upon the mercy of Christ. And that is the means, the thing God uses to give us the righteousness of Jesus. Notice The catechism says it's God who justifies. Not Abraham. Not circumcision. Not the pastor. Not the church. Not even faith is what justifies you. Faith is merely the instrument, the thing God uses to give you Jesus. There's great comfort in here congregation. Because sometimes we feel like Abraham. I've received Your promises, Lord. You've shown me Your righteousness, Lord. You've shown me Your truth, Lord. But I struggle to believe it. I struggle to agree and I'm filled with doubt. But even still, that day was the day God declared Abraham righteous. This is not based on the worthiness of your faith or the inherent strength of your faith. 
It's based on the strength of God. The mercy of God. The grace of God. Question 61. Not because I please God by the worthiness of my faith. For only Christ's satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness are my righteousness before God. It's the Lord who does the justifying. And Paul proves this by pointing to the highest authority. He points to the very Word of God. For he quotes Genesis 15 here. What does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted. Keyword counted to him as righteousness. Notice with me, my friends, what does Abraham bring to the relationship with God in Genesis 15? He doesn't bring anything. He doesn't bring anything save the acknowledgement of his misery and his need for mercy. Although not explicitly mentioned here, the promise is a promise of grace. And what Abraham does in Genesis 15 is he throws himself wholly on the graces of the promise or the promise of God. He's believing in the promises of God. Believing in the promise of a future seed. Believing in the promise of salvation. He embraces the favor of God here. He embraces God's grace. And it's counted to him as righteousness. Paul adds a new theological word to our vocabulary here with that word counted. We sang it in Psalm 32. I don't know if you noticed it a few moments ago. It says, blessed is the one who the Lord does not impute sin. Counted means impute. The law and the prophets use it this way. In Numbers 18, it says God counted the sacrifices of Israel as a covering for sin. Likewise, David in 2 Samuel 19, when Absalom and his crowd tried to overthrow him, one of the men who tried to overthrow David's throne sinned against him, but it says David did not count his sin against him. Which means, impute means that they are, we are reckoned righteous by something other than our own actions. Something is being borrowed, something is being given to us instead of our own sinfulness. So when, Ab- when Paul is saying that Abraham believed and God imputed righteousness to him, He's saying that Abraham was justified by faith. To those whom righteousness is given, they are justified. Even though Abraham was a sinner, God reckoned him, gave him righteousness. And remember that Abraham was not the one who wrote the book of Genesis. This is God's perspective through Moses. This is why he is a friend of God. This is why God loves and acknowledges him. And this is why he is just. Not because he is perfect. But because he is given, imputed 
the righteousness of someone else. My friends, this ought to teach us that it does not matter where you have been or what you have done. What matters most is what God has done. Satan will come to us and whisper in our ears of our shortcomings, telling us of the times our faith has fallen short, reminding of us, us of our sins, but we need to meditate on the fact that by God's grace, we are washed, we are sanctified, we are justified in Jesus Christ. Abraham is an example of a justified sinner. Well, we turn then to our second example this morning. The example of David. This is another titan of biblical history. We see, beginning in verse 6, that just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works, David also illustrates our justification before God. But he adds a new dimension to our study. See, Abraham teaches us that justification, even though he did righteous deeds, he did wonderful things, righteousness is not given to us by works. But David teaches us, even though he had grave sins, and did evil things, we are not condemned. This is the twofold blessing of justification. Abraham declares that our good deeds do not justify us, and David declares that your sins do not condemn you. So, Saul, so Paul quotes Psalm. 32, where David says, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whom the Lord will not count his sins. I think David is jubilant in Psalm 32. He's filled with happiness, he's excited. Because if anyone deserved to be condemned for their sins, it would have been him. Paul assumes that you and I know the background of Psalm 32 because the Bible teaches us that David is known as a man after God's own heart. Meaning that he was wholly devoted and wholly consecrated to God. Remember that he was anointed by the prophet Samuel? and then anointed by the elders of Israel, and by God's anointing, he defeated enemies that were ten times his size. In Goliath. He defeated ominous foes. He conquered invading armies. He ruled injustice, cared for the oppressed, and he had an intimate, close communion with God. He's even described in 2 Samuel as the sweet psalmist of Israel. Seventy of our psalms are written by David. He rose to incredible heights. 
and he threw it all away. He threw it all away. In 2 Samuel 11, he sees a woman bathing on a rooftop and calls her into his chambers and commits adultery with her. Towards the end of his life, the man after God's own heart began to be known as somebody who coveted, who lied, who deceived, who stole, who committed adultery, as we just mentioned, and then even manslaughter. And what made David's actions so heinous is that they were premeditated and public before the eyes of all of Israel. So when David says in Psalm 32, lawless deeds, he doesn't just mean missing the mark, which is the common translation for sin. Lawless deeds means rebellion. Open violation of God's standard. David says, this is what I was doing. But notice what he, he's not sorrowing in Psalm 32. You have to read this with happiness. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sins. We can add after this a hearty hallelujah. Amen. Praise the Lord. Our sins are forgiven. Because the Lord sent David a prophet who would confront him in his sins and David would cry out, I have sinned against the Lord. And just like Abraham in Genesis 15, he throws himself upon the mercy of God. And Nathan tells him, the Lord has taken away your sin. David illustrates, he is an example for us, that those who trust in God's grace will never be condemned. But there is a difference between David and Abraham. Notice with me, That in the first example, something that Abraham did not have was given to him. Counted, it said. Now with David we see that something that he committed was not counted against him. This is an incredibly profound moment in the book of Romans. Paul is showing us that we are not only given what we need in Jesus, but in Jesus we are also cleansed of having done anything wrong. You are given Jesus' righteousness by faith. And by faith, Jesus is given your sins. Righteousness counted 
imputed to you and me and Abraham and David. Sin counted and imputed to Jesus Christ. So that when we stand before God, He he who knows all things, who knows every evil thought, every wicked deed, every evil inclination of our hearts, but that is not how He looks at us. He looks at us and He sees Christ. The righteousness of Christ. Lord's Day 23 puts it so beautifully. He grants and credits to me the perfect satisfaction. That's the obedience of Christ. The perfect righteousness of Christ. The perfect holiness of Christ. As if I had never sinned nor been a sinner. As if I had been perfectly obedient. Put it to the examples given. God looks at David and he doesn't see adultery. God looks at David and he doesn't see a murderer. He doesn't see David's lying, his covetousness. God looks at David and sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. As if David had been perfectly obedient all the days of our lives. Now, David will never be condemned by God's grace. But it doesn't, what we need to learn from the life of David is that it doesn't mean that God will never correct us or chastise us in this life for our sins. The book of Hebrews says that God chastises those whom He loves. God in this life can still rebuke us. We may still have to pay for sins this side of heaven. Legally, I speak of. But what our comfort and hope is, is that when we come before God, we will not pay for our sins a second time. Christ has paid it all. Sometimes we also speak another word of application of the joy of the Christian life. We think especially of the Apostle Paul's words in Philippians, count it all joy, my brothers, when you endure various afflictions. But where does the Christian joy come from? Here we see with the root of Christian joy. The blessed person in this life is the person who knows that they are accepted by God. That person has joy. It wasn't the sin with Bathsheba. It wasn't the throne of Israel. It wasn't the money and the sons and the glory that gave David joy. He had unspeakable joy in God. Because God had accepted him as his son. And he loved him in his grace. Congregation, this is your joy as well. He has accepted you and me as His sons and His daughters. No matter what goes wrong in this life, do we not always have 
my heavenly Father loves me. Well, finally, we need to see that the blessing of justification that Paul is describing here is for all who believe. Jesus is the Savior of all. Paul continues that this is given for Jews and Gentiles. For the circumcised and the uncircumcised. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or for the uncircumcised? For we say that the faith that was counted to Abraham as righteousness, how then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. I'd like to invite you just quickly to turn with me to Genesis chapter 12. Because what the Apostle Paul is doing is actually taking us on a short short chronology of the Apostle Paul's life. Or excuse me, of Father Abraham's life. In Genesis chapter 12, we see that God called Abraham from the land of Ur. Then if you flip to Genesis 15, we see that He justified Abraham in Genesis 15. This is the passage where it says Abraham believed the Lord and it was credited to him as righteousness. And then flip two more chapters to chapter 17 we saw a few weeks ago which is where Abraham and his sons and the male members of his household are circumcised. So was Abraham a Jew when he was justified? Was he circumcised when he was justified? Made right with God? The answer is that when Abraham was saved, When Abraham was justified before God, he was part of an undifferentiated group of people called the Gentiles. He was an uncircumcised Gentile when he believed the Lord. And what does Hebrews 11 say? It says, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place and to receive an inheritance. He went out not knowing where he was going, and by faith he went to live in the land of promise as a foreign land, living in tents, all before he was circumcised. And so if God can save an uncircumcised Gentile idol maker from the land of Ur, surely salvation is a gift to all who believe. While he was a Gentile, he believed the Lord. And it was counted to him as righteousness. He didn't know Jesus' name. He didn't know of the cross. But he believed upon Jesus. All his sins and shortcomings were placed upon Christ. And Christ and God the Father granted and credited to him the righteousness of Jesus. Abraham is a picture of God saving both Gentiles and Jews. God can save both young and old. 
male and female, black and white, all kinds of people who by faith look to Jesus for their salvation. And so, we read the purpose was to make Him the Father of all who believe without being circumcised. So that righteousness, this is the final time we see this word in our passage, would be counted to them as well. Abraham did great things. But he wasn't justified by his great works. David was a great sinner. Yet he received mercy by faith. They are examples for us. So that righteousness can be imputed to you and to me. Righteousness given to you and to me. Congregation, the same holds true as the catechism indicates. We are righteous in Christ before God. We are heirs to everlasting life by faith alone. Amen. Let us pray. Merciful God, we give You thanks this Sunday morning that we can meditate on the goodness of the faith of the fathers who have gone before us, Abraham and David. But yet we, we know, Lord, that even in their goodness, they were yet fallen sinners who needed Jesus Christ. And so, Father, our greatest thanks is given to Jesus who is the Savior of all. And that because of His work, our sins are not counted against us on that last day, but we have been given righteousness by faith. We ask, Lord, that You would work us this truth in our hearts this morning to believe it. And that, merciful God, we would go to heaven at the time of Your call and we would stand before You not adding a stitch to the robes of righteousness, but simply clinging to the cross of Christ as our only hope of justification and the only hope of forgiveness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.